Welcome to the Off Duty On Duty Podcast, episode number 21. I'm your host, Brian Eastridge. Welcome to the podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com podcast network. The Off Duty On Duty Podcast, we take topics relevant to today's gun owners, and we tackle them from the perspective of everyday concealed carriers and the perspective of on-duty law enforcement officers to give you both angles of discussion. Today, I'm going to be joined by Gary Cuisenberry, recently retired uh, law enforcement officer and competitor on past season of Top Shot. We're going to talk a little bit about his book. We're also going to talk about spotting danger. Today's episode brought to you by our sponsors at, again this week, Mountain Man Medical. I can't stress this enough, guys. Medical. Mountain Man Medical is focused on two core principles. First, build med kits and trauma kits that consist of name, brand, and proven tested components. Second, make them the most affordable of any company on the market. Check out the full lineup of products and kits at mountainmanmedical.com. And remember, law enforcement officers, firearms instructors, and other professionals, you can save up to 15%. MountainManMedical.com. It'll be posted in the show notes. And if you haven't yet, you should probably check out our honorary sponsor and their recently unveiled website, EDC Belt Company, home of the foundation belt, the most comfortable, functional concealed carry belt on the market. EDCBeltCo.com. All right, guys, let's bring in our guest, Gary Questenberry. Gary, thanks again, and thank you for correcting me on your last name because I've heard it pronounced three different ways. So thanks for clarifying that. Only three? (laughs) You know, my last name's Eastridge, so it's everything from like ostrich to estrogen, so and all points in between. (laughs) So I can sympathize. (laughs) So Gary, um, you know, you came highly recommended by a lot of – a lot of our our mutual associates in the industry, I'll call them dudes, or uh, in cop talk, that's dudes we both know. <laughs> so, yeah, right, and I I kind of became a little, I would say, tuned in when you were on uh, season three of Top Shot. There, I caught a couple of episodes in in passing, and yeah, it seemed like that was probably a pretty intense experience from all the guys I know that have been on it. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it was pretty cool. You know, it was a, it was it was a lot of fun. I got talked into doing it. You know, at least to uh, uh, applying for it, and I was fortunate enough to get selected. It was definitely a unique experience. Nothing like any other competition type shooting that I had been a part of, and it gave me a little bit of name recognition, which is coming in handy. You know, now in this second chapter in my life that I've retired from law enforcement, and you know, standing some companies up and getting into some uh, you know some practical businesses. I'm just about to roll 19 years in law enforcement and I, I long for the day, but I fear it. And I, I look at everybody that's crossed over that, uh, that retirement yeah. line and it's like high fives and yeah, yeah. cheering yeah, you on. Does. Yeah. It's uh well, congratulations on the 19 years. A lot of people don't make it that long. You know, it's uh it's like a, it's like a Rocky marriage almost, you know, just people just don't tough it out that long, but, uh, but I'm glad to see that you are and you really enjoy that retirement piece. Trust me. 
Well, I, I appreciate the encouragement because as the years wear on, it gets a little more difficult. But uh, one of the things that uh, seems to be the, the talk is uh, your, your book, this Spotting Danger Before It Spots You. I kind of want to not just make your book the topic of discussion, and I congratulate you on being a, a published author as a now now retired law enforcement officer. But um, no, thank you. But just kind of uh, kind of give us a little insight, and we're going to gear this more towards our our uh, armed citizenry than law okay. enforcement for this episode, and and just let's talk about uh, how first off, like how do you develop that skill as a civilian or as a, as part of the gun toting populace. Right. Well, you know, that's the good part about situational awareness is situational awareness is kind of universal. You know, some people are in positions or jobs or whatever, where they need to pay closer attention to things for their own personal safety. You know, they're, they're a little more apt to be in dangerous situations than the average citizen, but the bits and pieces of situational awareness are all the same. So when I wrote my book, Spotting Danger Before It Spots You, I started it out as it actually began as a class that I was going to teach to some instructors. And the more I put down on paper, the more that I realized this is starting to shape up like a table of contents. And this is good information, not just for firearms instructors or for law enforcement personnel, but, you know, for, for just common folks that are invested in their own personal safety. So with that in mind, I took that lesson plan, that outline, created a table of contents, and then just, you know, as I was as I was working my day job at the time as a federal air marshal, I'm just kind of filling in the, you know, the chapters one by one, and it turned into a book. But in, in putting that together, I tried to think of the most practical way that just regular civilians could most easily digest the information I was trying to put out without it feeling like I'm forcing, you know, uh, uh, you know, trying to you know, give them a drink of water through a water hose kind of thing. I broke it down into three separate phases. So the book starts off with what I feel is the most important phase of situational awareness training, and that's understanding the threat. You know, you have to understand the mindset, the predator mindset. You have to understand what it is they're looking for in a target. You have to understand the differences what they consider to be a hard target and a soft target and how you're perceived within that framework. Yeah. So once you understand the threat, then I get into kind of the, the nuts and bolts of situational awareness, the things like the different levels of awareness that you should find yourself in, you know, the whole OODA loop process of decision-making and identifying problems. And then the third phase of the book is strengthening your personal defenses so you take what you know about predatory mindset, you take what you know now about the basics of situational awareness, and we put that together into a program with some practical exercises that you can walk out as a civilian and, and, and put into immediate use. And it's something that instantly changes the way you walk and move through your environment, which obviously changes the way people view you, specifically predators view you, and makes you much less likely to be targeted by those predators. This brings up two, two things to mind immediately. One, my, my good friend, Daryl bulky from, uh, DB shooting adventurers and him and Wayne Dobbs have a training company. He, he always uses the phrase, don't look like the wounded baby gazelle at the watering hole. So that, that immediately <laughs> right. came to mind when you said that the second, which kind of leads to a question when uh, a few years ago with my stepson, 
we pulled into a convenience store parking lot and he looks over and sees this gentleman in a car next to us and looks at me and goes, dad, don't park here. That, that dude doesn't look right. And he was about nine years old at the time. And I backed out of this parking spot and look, and this, this guy's obviously under the influence. He's intoxicated with some, uh, mind altering substance to be sure. kind of, uh, a little, <laughs> a little more palatable, but I started asking him, I said, tell me about him, what that guy looks like, what keyed in your mind as a nine-year-old, tell me all the things that you saw that made you immediately nervous. And he starts naming, well, he's sweating, he's by himself. And we pulled up in this really nice Tacoma and he didn't even look over, you know, all these little, little indicators. And do you think that there's, there's some degree of instinct built into people that that can kind of read that? Or do you think that's kind of a, an environmental thing that you're immersed in it? Like we both have been in law enforcement and we, we exercise those practices every day, or do you think it's a combination of the two kind of speak to that if you will? Well, you know, I I think that a huge component when it comes to situational awareness and ensuring your own personal safety is that intuition piece. Uh, You know, Gavin DeBecker wrote, a fantastic book, an entire book about intuition called the gift of fear. Yeah. And I referenced that in my own writing and, you know, it's a fantastic read. Intuition really is nothing more than your mind subconsciously registering certain indicators in your environment and making a decision for you. It's kind of overriding your rational mind and making a decision for you based on your, your past experiences. So I always tell people I've worked, I worked a little over, six years in the Bureau of Prisons. And as soon as you walk inside that fence every day, you're surrounded by people that want to hurt you. They potentially want to hurt you, you know, for no other reason than the fact that you just showed up to work that day. So you learn very quickly how to read little environmental indicators and things that, like I said, it's almost second nature. You pick up on it subconsciously and you write it off as intuition. But, you know, it's kind of it's kind of your mind taking these bits and pieces of information and jumping through the process of rationalization. It just jumps right over that and tells you something's wrong. You need to get out of here right now. And I tell people all the time, like as humans, we're really the only animals on the planet that will stand there and look danger right in the face, know that we're in trouble, but we'll still, our minds will try to rationalize its presence and try to rationalize away why this guy's here why he's talking to me the way he's talking to me, why, you know, he's doing this or that. When in reality, we should have listened in the beginning when we got that funny feeling about the dude and just, you know, peeled off, just avoided the situation altogether. You know, when I'm teaching civilian firearms classes or, or you know, even in informal conversation with people that have a vested interest or an interest in their own personal safety what that's something that comes up a lot is how do you see these things? And, and that's everything down to my relationship with, with my girlfriend currently, she knows I I never sat with my back to the the entry door. You know, that's just stuff that's just kind of, as you work through law enforcement, that just becomes almost a second nature that you're, you get immersed in so deep that it, it, it just becomes a matter of routine. And, the civilian or, or I say civilian. And when I use civilian in this context, I mean, armed citizen, gun toting populace, people that people that are, are, are on the, on the good team. They, they, they're not criminals. They want to, they want to protect themselves. 
And that's one of the links that I think gets overlooked a lot, which is why one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the podcast is, you know, they constantly ask me, well, how do you, you know, you see things that we don't perceive. How do you develop that skill? So that's kind of my next, uh, yeah, my, my next well, talking point for you is how do you get in the routine of developing those skills? Well, you know, I get asked all the time, like if there was one thing I could do right now to improve my situational awareness, you know, what would that one thing be? And a lot of people, they have this misconception about situational awareness. And I always think about the movie, uh, the, the born identity, you know, where they're sitting at the diner and he's going over the fact that he can't remember his own name, but he knows the license plate of all the vehicles in the parking lot and that the waitress is left-handed and that the guy at the counter weighs 215 pounds and knows how to handle himself. You know, people think that that's what situational, situational awareness is. And that's not really the case. You can build up to that. But to begin, if there was one thing I tell people to do to improve their situational awareness right now, it's just to lift their head up. Ted Bundy once said that he could spot his next victim by the tilt of her head and predators they have a routine that they go through where they spot their victims almost instantaneously. And it's the little things that give you away. So, you know, just by picking your head up and not staring at your cell phone when you're walking down the street or having your ear pods in and, you know, you've cut yourself off visually and auditorily from your surroundings. Someone who wants to do harm to you, they, they see that opportunity right away. And a lot of them are willing to take advantage of that, you know, at the, you know, around the very next corner. So that's the first thing, you know, is just get your head up and actually look around and kind of take stock of your surroundings. After that, you start looking at things like listening to your intuition. You know, you walk into a room or into a, an area and you kind of have a good idea about how people should be acting in that environment. You know, you go to a beach and you walk out on the on the beach, you expect to see people dressed a certain way, acting a certain way, you know, and when someone does something that stands out from that, it raises your attention. And that's what you should be looking at. That's what you should be focused on. And it's no different when you're looking for something that could, you know, that could potentially jeopardize your safety. So learning to read a room, you know, what pre-incident indicators you should be looking for, and then learning how to read people as well in terms of what are some of the things that predators do when they're trying to take advantage of someone, you know, things like, you know, blocking your exits, crowding you into a space where you don't have a lot of options if it comes to retreat or fight, you know, uh, not showing you their hands, keeping their hands in their pockets, right. being dressed inappropriately, or, you know what I mean? There's all these different things that people do, the excessive sweating, like you were talking about your little boy noticed. Yeah. You know, once you learn how to pick up on these things, it's, it's a lot easier to zero in on the, the, the important stuff in your environment, where a lot of times, you know, 90% of your environment is completely harmless. The people in it, the place, everything that's going on is completely harmless. It's completely benign. But every now and then there's the chance that someone's there with the, with the intent of hurting you. And the faster you can spot them and come up with a plan to get away from the situation, the better off you'll be. So this is an interesting one that's come up in it, just in my personal life and day-to-day goings on is one of the things I do, if I walk into a restaurant or a crowded a crowded place. I walk in the door and about one step inside of the threshold, I take a, a, like, I guess you would call it a pregnant pause or, or, and I scan the entire room and take in what's everybody doing. 
you know, like what's going on and what violates what I call my social norms. Like, okay, it's, it's, it's 105 degrees outside. If there's a dude in, you know, a winter parka, there's (laughs) something not right with that. And I'm going to stand there long enough to take in that information, process it and see if I need to make a hasty retreat or if it's just, maybe there's just somebody that's a little weird there. And that comes up as well. Uh, but yeah, I discussed that, I discussed that in the book, you know, oh, okay. in, in the book, I, I, I mention it as when I talk about reading a room, but you're, you're setting, you have baseline behaviors. So when you walk into an area, you you're establishing a baseline of behavior for that area. Like I said, you know, on a beach, people dress and act a certain way in a restaurant, you know, how people should be acting inside a restaurant. And it's much different than people would be acting say at a bonfire or something. You know what I mean? Right. So once you establish those baseline behaviors and you understand how people act and maneuver within that environment, then it's a lot easier to, to spot what I call baseline anomalies. And those are the things that you key in on that kind of raise those hairs on the back of your neck. And, you know, you, you have to, take a step back and realize that you need to take a closer look at that so that if need be, you can deal with a situation that presents itself later down the road. The the thing going back to that incident with uh, the step kid, you know, and, and him yeah. identifying this person before I did, one of the reasons I, I felt like I had the white light out, giving him the inquisition about all these things. And, and my intent with that was how come you as a nine-year-old spotted that and, and I didn't immediately spot it. And it wasn't because it, it was mainly because I didn't see the guy before he did because of where he was seated in the vehicle. But I started kind of right. like ex- exploiting, like, what about that? And, and having an open conversation here with a, a nine-year-old about what, yeah. what didn't look right. Tell me and ex- describe that. And then we, we moved parking spaces and I said, well, do you still want to go in the store and get something to drink? And he says, well, yeah, I, I know that you carry, you carry a gun and you're a responsible law by I'm paraphrasing for nine-year-old here, but, sure. but, yeah. but, you know, I know that you're equipped to handle that if something went wrong. And I said, well, do you, knowing that something could, do you still want to go here or do you want to go somewhere else? And he looks me square in the eye and goes, can we go up the street to the other convenience store, and get yeah, a, yeah. get a, get a squishy or whatever, you know, soft drink yeah. or whatever. I had no intent of going in the store at that point because even a nine-year-old could see something was afoot, but I wanted to see what his uh, reaction to that would be, which was pretty, sure. pretty fascinating that again, a nine-year-old identified all this stuff. And the, right. at that time, 16-year-old cop went, oh, wow, <laughs> we, we've got a problem you here. Always, you can always trust the intuition of kids and horses. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I'm I'm not a horse guy because I believe that uh, four-wheelers, you don't have to like feed year-round. But, but, right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I still get it. So, which kind of brings us like right along to the next thing with, you know, using that kind of as a baseline example. Um, so you spot danger. Well, now what, even if it's well, something innocuous, but, or what would appear to be innocuous, but what's your, what's kind of your next logical step in the progression there? Well, it really depends. Like, you know, I always tell people that distance is your friend. So the further out you can spot a bad situation, the more of an opportunity you give yourself to just avoid it altogether. Now, 
the closer that bad situation gets to you, the less time you have to react to it, right? And your situational yeah. awareness kind of dictates that distance. So regardless of what, you know, that distance is or what it is that you see that kind of sets you off on that, on that situational awareness spectrum, you know, you've got certain options. Your first and your safest option is always avoidance. You know, your, your best bet, your, the best way for you to ensure your personal safety 100% of the time without question is to avoid the bad situation altogether, to see it way down the road and be able to maneuver yourself around it so that you're not even involved. So that's not always possible, you know, based on time and distance. So if avoidance isn't possible, your next option is escape. So now you've got a situation that may have manifested itself, you know, and you're right there on it. You know, it may not be directly uh, directed, you know, straight at you, but you're in the vicinity and you need to get away from it. So escape is your next option. So after avoidance and escape, you've got two other options. And these are the options that cops most frequently deal with. And that's de-escalation and confrontation. You know, so the de-escalation piece, you rely pretty heavily on your communication skills, your ability to read other people and know when a situation is getting worse than it should be and acting upon those, you know, those, those instincts and that information. And then, of course, confrontation. And I tell everybody, if it gets to that point, you know, where confrontation is your only option, then you have to be mentally and physically prepared to take that fight to them harder than they plan on bringing it to you. That's the only way to resolve it. You know, and and it's, you know, not to be cliche or anything like that, but, you know, I'm going to do everything I can to win that fight, regardless of what the legal outcome may be later, knowing that I can at least walk away from it safely, you know, with, you know, with my safety and quite possibly the safety of my family intact. So those are your options, though. You know, you got avoidance, escape, de-escalation and confrontation. You were a military vet during Desert Shield, Desert Storm, correct? Right. Yeah, yeah that's right army guy right so you were probably (laughs) when we go offline i'll tell you what i used to tell my troops that stood for but uh (laughs) but but anywho the first time i was kind of exposed to that at 18 years old at uh the lovely land of fort benning georgia was going through nuclear biological chemical training they used the phrase time (laughs) what's that i said the land that god forgot I don't know if he forgot about it or condemned it one or the other, Uh, (laughs) but uh, in in nuclear biological chemical training, they talk about time distance exposure. And uh, a lot of the people that I've trained that have had uh, even an introductory training introduction to that, that uh, methodology of training, I say, you, you know, your best bet is just, Harken back to when you were 18 going through that training and you say time distance exposure. Well, you know, how long am I going to be here? How far am I away? And how much exposure do I have to this situation? It's kind of along those lines, but, but, but yeah, situational awareness. Uh, and I know you probably hated the pro mask and the mop four as much as I did, but, uh, but there was some, (laughs) there was some, some serious lessons involved in there. So Absolutely. So this brings up when you were talking about uh, crowds and, and situational stuff, your family, how do you keep those people prepared? Because apparently I got blessed at the time with a nine-year-old. Now he's 13, 14 years old with someone who is keyed into that. And I have a close relationship now with a 
a lady that uh, if I if I grab her by the hand and say we're leaving, there's no question yeah. about it because she trusts my intuition and judgment, knowing my uh, background as a law enforcement officer. So maybe you could talk to the point of like exposing maybe close associates, family. Maybe you've just entered into a relationship with a young lady and you're trying to convey that without being confrontational in your own personal relationship with somebody that you right. identify danger. Let's, let's mitigate that. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, we're, we're kind of in the same boat. My wife learned a long time ago that if you know, we're in a situation and it's actually happened before where, you know, we were in a, uh, we were in a local Walmart in, we- in Beckley, West Virginia. And, uh, she always knew that, like you just said, if I tell you, Hey, something's wrong, we got to go. You leave the cart where it's at, you grab the kid and we get out of here. So we were in the Walmart and I spotted an inmate who had just recently gotten out. And it was an inmate who, for whatever reason, you know, decided that he was going to threaten me at some point during the course of my job. And it's not hard to do. You just have to do your job and somebody's going to hate you for it. You know? So you see that all the time now in the news, but it's, uh, you know, it was one of those situations where I saw that guy. The last time I'd seen him, he had made a threat towards my life and my family. So when I saw him outside the fence, I immediately told my wife, you need to get out of here. And she did. And the guy made eye contact with me and started moving towards me. So, you know, I stood there and he came up and he was like, hey, man, just so you know, I got no beef with you. It's, uh, <laughs> you know, that was just me trying to save face in front of some other inmates. And I, you know, I didn't mean anything by it. You know, he was very apologetic about the whole situation which in the back of my mind, I kind of figured that's the way that situation was going to go, but I wasn't going to take those chances with my family. Right. So, you know, you talk about teaching, you know, your, your family, your significant other, your wife, your children and stuff like that. And, you know, when I first started this, uh, YMAA publications, they're the, the, the publishers of my book. And when we first started the conversation on writing these books about situational awareness, you know, it started off as I was just going to write this one book, and then it kind of branched off from there. So book two is actually finished and it's going through the editing process now. And that one is spotting danger before it spots your kids. And it's about building a program for parents to teach their children about situational awareness without them necessarily knowing that they're learning about situational awareness, you know, because how you know how kids can be. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's not something that they necessarily always take take seriously. But there's certain things you can do, little games that you can play with your kids to help them build the skills they need to later on develop, you know, that 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 structured situational awareness program. So that's going to be book two in the series. Book three is going to be uh, specifically for parents to teach their teenagers about situational awareness, because, you know, whether you know it or not, you know, uh, someone who's between the ages of four and 12 are much they're much different people than when they're 13 to 19 years old. You know, there's a lot of things going on inside a teenager's body and mind that we just can't wrap our heads around, but it becomes all the more important as they're trying to develop their own sense of independence, that they understand these things, the situational awareness piece and the personal safety piece, and you know, what kind of role that's going to play in their life. And then finally, the last book is going to be for travelers. So, you know, it's, it's, it's an ongoing series and there's going to be a book released every year, but I think I think your best bet when it comes to talking to your family and getting them kind of spun up on the situational awareness piece is to, to not overwhelm them with it, 
and don't try to instill fear in them because that's no way for anybody to live. You know, I never tried to make my children afraid of their environments. And you see this all the time, especially as a police officer. You know, I, I can't tell you the number of times I talked to guys who worked in a uniform capacity who would get so frustrated with parents when they'd see them in a department store or something and their kids acting up. And the parent says, if you don't stop, I'll get that cop over there to arrest you. You know, all you're doing there is you're instilling a sense of fear in that child. And instead of them, if something went bad and they had to look for someone who could help them in that situation, they'll be more afraid of that police officer than they would be willing to approach him for help. So, you know, those are things that you have to discuss with your child. And as a parent, it's very important that you that you veer away from that fear factor piece that we're all so quick to throw out because it seems like the easiest fix. Like if they're afraid of this, they'll stay away from it. But that's not always the case. A kid's natural sense of curiosity is going to draw them towards things, whether they're afraid of it or not. And as long as they understand what situational awareness is and how it helps them and protects them and what they need to look for, if they perceive something to be a dangerous situation, then all the better they'll be for it. You know, like you were talking about the nine-year-old explaining to you why he felt that this was a dangerous situation. But I think the most important piece of that is the fact that he realized that in a dangerous situation, his best option was to get you to go to the convenience store down the street. You know, and that says a lot about that, about that kid's mindset and situational awareness. So So one thing I do with my kids all the time is, you know, I would bring up around the dinner table or whatever, you know, just kind of current events like the Aurora, Colorado shooting, you know, during the Batman movie. Right. And uh, the Western Mall shooting and things like that, because, you know, those are situations that your teenagers, your kids find themselves in, you know, they're at the mall with friends or they're at a movie and you never know when something bad could happen. So one thing I talk about in the book and I used to do with my kids all the time is I would play what I call what if games, you know? So when you're walking around in a, in a mall or you're in a movie theater or whatever, you start playing that game, you know, what if somebody comes across, you know, this, this, uh, you know, this food court with a gun, you know, where are your exits at? What would you do? You know, is there anything around here that you could use as concealment or cover to keep yourself safe? You know, how would you react to that? You know, what should I do if we got separated? You know, how would you make contact with me? All these different scenarios. And, you know, you can, you can play that game to the point where you start seeing the eyes glaze over and start to roll (laughs) around a little bit in their head. And then it's time to back off, but you planted those seeds, you know, right. And there's been several cases, several, and I'm writing about one right now in book three, uh, where some of those lessons, although, you know, you may not realize the impact they make at the time, but in the heat of the moment in a dangerous situation is something that they can recall, you know, something as simple as what we, you know, what I'm sure you've heard called combat breathing, you know, to, to take those deep breaths with the pause in the middle and the slow release to lower your heart rate, to release that tunnel vision and get your peripheral vision back and start kind of thinking more clearly stuff like that are things that I did with my kids from an early age. And it's things that in a couple of different situations, it's, it's coming quite handy for them. So, you know, even if you think they're not listening, that doesn't mean as a parent, you're not obligated to put that information in their head because they do have the capacity to retain it and recall it when they need it. Yeah. I used to play a game with junior. I call him junior, but, uh, we'd go to the mall and yeah. I would, I would say, Hey, what stores are car by? Oh, this one. Yeah. Well, what if we get separated? Well, I'll go to the, the entrance by our car. Okay. And then the next one was, I would always ask him, 
well, where's the bathroom at? Because, you know, I was with him from the time he was two until he was about 12. So where's yeah. the bathroom at tends to be a good one. Well, if you go to most of the shopping malls that we went to, the emergency exit was in relative close proximity. And that seemed to be a very uh, innocuous way to go. Hey, where's the bathroom at? Oh, it's over there. Oh, Hey, look, there's an emergency exit. And then kind of open that conversation to them that they may not even be thinking this is a situational awareness thing, but you're, you're kind of imparting some of that, uh, forward thinking, like if something happens and I look at him and go, Hey, go to the bathroom. He at least knows that's where it's at. And I know where he's going to go. So, so that it's all great stuff, man. Um, yeah. And even when they're younger, you yeah. know, even when they're younger, not just teens, you play, you know, I play these little games all the time with my nephews now who are four and eight or five and eight. He'll be mad at me if he hears me call him four. But, uh, <laughs> you know, you, you play games like memory, you know, where you lay out a grid of cards and you have to match, you know, two matching cards. And at the end, whoever has the most matches wins, you know, that that develops things, skills that further down the road turn into situational awareness. It develops pattern recognition, you know, recall, things like that. And then working with small children on things like descriptive flashcards. So, you know, we can make these flashcards up and you can show them to your kids be like, is this guy tall or short? You know, does this guy look happy or sad? So that whenever something does happen in their life that they need to relay information to you, they're able to be as descriptive and detailed as possible. And you start building those skills early. You know, and it, like I said, it builds up to the nuts and bolts of situational awareness without them even realizing it. As a policeman and, and one of the, the most frustrating things is trying to get a suspect description out of somebody who is in an adrenaline dump situation and getting, and being able to interview them to think about that. And some of the best witnesses that I've had in, in crime scenes and everything else are bystanders that just happen to be cops, <laughs> you know, it, or yeah. it, that have been in, immersed in that, and they can give you head to toe descriptions, it, just and recall it within an instant. And whereas you get somebody that's that's under the influence of uh, that that substance we call adrenaline, and it can be all over the map. No, I was going to say there's like a reason, you know, that police officers who are involved in, you know, in deadly encounters where they have to deploy deadly force, you know, they're given a 72 hour cooling off period because, you know, the things that they saw and heard in the moment aren't as clear to them as they will be once the effects of that adrenaline rush wears off. You know, there's been interviews with police officers who were in shootings and there was I forget where it happened, but the police officer said that in the moment as he was exchanging fire, you know, with, with, with the bad guy that he, he was thinking to himself, why is someone throwing beer cans at me? You know, somebody's throwing beer cans at me, but it wasn't beer cans. And when everything finally, the smoke finally cleared and he had a minute to think about things, he realized that it was actually his casings that were (laughs) being ejected from the gun. But because of the adrenaline rush and the effects that that has on the body and the kind of that target lock, that target focus that you get, he was focusing on those casings as they were coming out of his gun and they just looked so big to him. He said he couldn't hear 
the auditory exclusion piece. He couldn't hear the rounds being fired, but the casings looked so big that he was convinced that somebody in the middle of a gunfight was chucking beer cans at him. So you never know, you know, how your mind's going to react to these situations or how it's going to interpret, you know, certain input. So it's important that, you know, especially with your kids that you work on being as descriptive and detailed as possible, you know, even in little things, just asking them about the course of their day at school, make them be as descriptive as they can be, because that eventually becomes a habit. And it's something that they start paying close attention to later on down the road. I think we, uh, we could probably go for, three or four or 10 podcast here with all the, the great information you're putting out. And I really appreciate it. If you had a, a, a final thought for the, uh, this episode and, and one of the things I do, and I didn't preface this. And when we talked pre-show, one of the things I do is I don't name the episode until after the conversation, because usually yeah. that a, a good title comes up. So if you have, if you have a, a final thought for, just the gun-toting populace, the armed citizen, if you could sum it up and give me a final thought on it, what would that be? Well, you know, it doesn't matter if you're armed, if you're unarmed, if you're a black belt in jujitsu, whatever, you know, whatever it is, whatever physical method you've used to prepare yourself for violence, none of it matters. You can't fight what you don't see coming. So that situational awareness piece is huge. I tell people all the time, you know, you can't fight what you can't see coming. The first thing you can do to make yourself more alert and look like a harder target to someone who could do harm to you is to get your head up. You know, that's why I call my situational awareness course, the heads up course, because that's the one thing you can do right now to fix the way other people view you. So that's it. So I appreciate your time. Congratulations on your retirement from federal law enforcement and, uh, had a, had a great time talking to you. Uh, you, like I said, you've come highly recommended, you know, based on our, uh, mutual associates, AKA dudes, we both know, and, uh, hopefully we can get you back on here again. Cause I, I, my next, uh, being a now traveling firearms instructor, my, the next thing I want to kind of pick your brain about, uh, from your experience with, uh, the federal air marshal service is how to how to maintain some semblance of safety on an, on an airplane in flight. Gary, thanks. Yeah. yeah, Be happy to talk (laughs) to you. All right. Episode 21 with Gary Quisenberry. I think we're going to call this one. You can't fight what you can't see coming. Episode 21. Uh, Thanks again this week to our sponsors, mountain man, medical, at mountainmanmedical.com and also EDC Belt Company, home of the foundation belt at edcbeltco.com. Reminder, get on uh, concealedcarry.com's website and check out the Guardian Pod or uh, Guardian Podcast, the Guardian Conference. It's upcoming here in Oklahoma City, September 17th, 18th, and 19th at the Oklahoma City Gun Club. I'll be presenting there and a bunch of other instructors will be too. So look forward to seeing you there. The Off-Duty On-Duty Podcast is a production of Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC. Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC presents the following content for educational purposes only. 
Always take proper precautions. Follow all firearm safety rules. Consult with a competent firearms instructor and have trained medical staff on hand when operating live firearms. Legal content, commentary, or explanations do not constitute legal advice. We are not attorneys and recommend always consulting with competent legal counsel when researching or seeking to understand laws and legal application. Eastridge Training and Consulting LLC, its participants, partners, and affiliates are not liable for any action taken based on the content of this shared podcast.